Is this frequency in use? Welcome to Southgate Vibes, a selection of the latest stories direct from Southgate Amateur Radio News. I'm Steve Richards, Golf 4 Hotel Papa Echo, and in this podcast, you're going to hear my personal picks of what is happening in amateur radio and the wider world of communications. Whether you're just starting out in ham radio or an experienced operator spinning around the spectrum for those rare and sometimes strange signals, I hope you'll find something to entertain you here. Welcome to Southgate Vibes. Hello again, and here we go with a selection of interesting stories that have caught my eye. This is podcast number 26. Radio communications during emergencies have always been known in the amateur radio service as a truly important facility, and no more so than in countries that are prone to being hit by natural disasters. Here's news of an organisation that brings together professionals and enthusiasts in emergency communications. Every January, the International Emergency Communication Registry of Operators runs its Membership Drive campaign. Over the past few years since the establishment of the IECRO, its membership has seen steady growth internationally. And as a result of COVID-19, like many other organisations, they are now accepting online applications. The International Emergency Communication Registry of Operators is a global network consisting of members who share a common interest in the area of public service and emergency radio operations. There's a very strong social and friendship element to the network. If you would like to provide assistance within your local community or globally during storms, earthquakes or other natural disasters, then they would like to hear from you. In order to become a member, an application form must be completed and submitted to one of their regional affiliated organisations. Application for IECRO membership is open to individuals, either currently employed or retired, from one of the following sectors – ambulance, aeronautical, army, military or navy, coast guard, fire services, police, satellite development and management or navigation, and space research. Application for membership is also open to persons who are generally interested in supporting the goals of the IECRO and who are members of voluntary communication organisations such as amateur radio clubs, camping, hiking or survival groups, boating and sailing clubs and local parish interest groups. The IECRO runs a number of radio theory classes with a strong emphasis on international best practice in disaster management, specifically aimed at teaching new members how to become skilled, licensed operators. In addition to running the above courses, the IECRO has a technical panel which can advise newly licensed operators on how to maintain various equipment. For additional information about the organisation, you can visit their website at www.iecro.com. You're listening to Southgate Vibes with me, Steve, G4 Hotel Papa Echo. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you have a comment or a question, pop us over an email. Our address is vibes at southgatearc.org. That's vibes at southgatearc.org. You never know, we might feature your message in a future edition. News from Germany, where their radio frequency regulator is very active and accessible when it comes to cases of unwanted interference or unauthorised operation. It seems an enviable service, and they've managed to keep it running at full speed despite the restrictions caused by the coronavirus pandemic. Germany's federal network agency, the B-Nets A, takes radio interference seriously. The German National Amateur Society, the DARC, reports that, despite the corona pandemic, the investigation service of the Federal Network Agency found and eliminated over 3,500 cases of radio interference and electromagnetic incompatibility in 2020. One in four incidents related to a security or system-relevant radio service. For example, authorities and organisations with security tasks, aeronautical communications and public cellular networks. We guarantee interference-free communication for system-relevant radio and telecommunication services even during lockdown, said Jochen Homan, president of the Federal Network Agency. Since March, the investigation service has employed comprehensive hygiene and distance regulations in order to continue its field work. The service is available around the clock, seven days a week. The interference service is always in demand when problems to radio and telecommunications services have no operational causes, but are caused by unwanted or illegal radio emissions or other electromagnetic effects. In addition to dealing with radio interference processing, the service reviews frequency assignments and monitors the compliance of installations to check that they remain within electromagnetic environmental limits. The service also seeks out non-licensed users and has a presence at major events to ensure compatibility across a wide range of radio applications. The German Interference Service has specialist vehicles at 19 locations in Germany in order to carry out investigations of all types. In addition, they have a test laboratory for spectrum surveillance at a satellite monitoring point. Consumers and companies who want to report radio frequency issues simply contact the Radio Interference Department of the Federal Network Agency by phone or email. The agency decides whether the complaint falls within their jurisdiction. Then they advise the inquirer on who to contact and their services are free to the fault reporter, including on-site investigation work. Even those who cause the interference will not have to pay any fees, provided that the problems were caused through no fault of their own. In a related activity here in the UK, I can remember, as a boy, peering out of my bedroom window to see a strange-looking van slowly creeping down our street with the weirdest-looking set of coiled antennas on the roof. Were they looking for aliens or seeking out political dissidents? Well, the truth is just as gripping, and it's quintessentially British. The United Kingdom is somewhat unique in the world for requiring those households which view broadcast television to purchase a licence for the privilege. Initially coming into being with the Wireless Telegraphy Act in 1923, the licence was required for anyone receiving broadcast radio before being expanded to cover television in 1946. 
The funds generated from this endeavour are used as the primary funding for the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. Of course, it's all well and good to require a licence, but without some manner of enforcement, the measure doesn't have any teeth. Amongst other arrangements, the BBC have gone as far as employing special detector vans to hunt down illegally operating televisions to protect its precious income. To ensure compliance, TV licensing regularly sends sternly worded letters to those who have let their licence lap or have not purchased one. In the event that this fails, they may arrange a visit from enforcement officers. These officers aren't empowered to forcibly enter homes, so in the event of a homeowner declining to cooperate with the investigation, TV licensing will apply for a search warrant. This may be on the basis of evidence, such as a satellite dish or an antenna spotted on the roof of the dwelling, or a remote control spied on a couch cushion through a window. Alternatively, a search warrant may be granted on the basis of evidence gleaned from a TV detector van. Fitted with equipment to detect a TV set in use, the vans roam the streets of the United Kingdom, often dispatched to addresses with lapsed or absent TV licences. If the van detects that a set may be operating and receiving broadcast signals, TV licensing can apply to the court for the requisite warrant to take the investigation further. The vans are almost solely used to support warrant applications. The detection van evidence is rarely, if ever, used in court to prosecute a licence evader. With a warrant in hand, officers will use direct evidence, such as a television found plugged into an aerial, to bring an evader to justice through the courts. The detector vans were first deployed in 1952, with equipment designed to pick up the magnetic field from the horizontal deflection scanning of the picture tube at 10.125 kHz. Loops were used to detect the second harmonic of this signal, 20.25 kHz, which was mixed with a local beat frequency oscillator at 19.25 kHz to create a 1 kHz tone to indicate to the operator when a signal was being picked up. Three antennas were used, one on the front of the van and two on the rear, on the left and the right sides. When the van was next to an operating television in a house, the signal between the front and side antenna would be roughly the same. Signals from the right and left antennas could then be compared to determine which side of the street the television was on. Once independent television started broadcasting in 1963, this method of detection became impractical. The two television stations did not synchronise their line-scan signals, so neighbouring houses watching different channels would create confusing interference for the detector. To get around this, the vans switched to detecting the local oscillator of the TV set's superheterodyne VHF receiver instead. With stations broadcasting on bands spanning 47 to 240 MHz, it was impractical at the time to build a tuner and antenna to cover this entire range. Instead, the equipment was designed to work from 110 to 250 MHz, tuning in the fundamental frequencies of the higher bands or the harmonics of the lower frequency oscillators. A highly directional antenna was used to hone in on the set, and a periscope was installed to allow the operator to view the house the antenna was pointing at, and if operating in the dark, the periscope could instead be used to shine a small dot of light in the direction of the antenna. When UHF television came along, a pair of antennas was used to search for television usage, with the twin setup helping to improve directionality. 
The introduction of UHF transmissions led to further redesigns. Engineers again leaned on harmonics to allow a single system to cover the full range from low VHF to higher UHF frequencies. A pair of long, log-periodic spiral antennas were used, mounted on top of the van, which could be varied in spacing to effectively tune different frequencies. In practice, the antennas would be pointed towards a row of houses while the van was slowly driven along the street. The beam pattern of the antenna pair would show seven distinct lobes on a cathode ray tube inside the van when a TV was detected. An operator would press a button to mark house boundaries on the display as the van slowly moved along, and when the lobe pattern centred on a particular house, the TV's location was clear. The hardware was further refined over the years, with various types of antenna rig and detection equipment used, as technology marched on. Well, today's efforts to detect licence evasion are shrouded in mystery. Modern flat-screen displays receiving digital television signals do not emit as much radio frequency interference as older designs, and any such signals detected are less easily correlated with broadcast television. An LCD television in the home can just as easily be displaying output from a video game console or an online streaming service, with both these cases not requiring the owner to pay a licence fee. Based on an alleged BBC submission for a search warrant in recent years, there may be optical methods used in which reflected light from a television in a viewer's home is compared to the live broadcast signal. The BBC declined to answer the Freedom of Information request with any details of their methods, other than to say that they have employed vehicles and handheld devices in enforcement efforts. However, given the multitude of broadcast, cable and satellite channels now available, the comparison effort would necessarily be much harder, leading some to suspect that the days of the detector van are largely over. Oh, and one interesting tidbit of information for you. In the UK, 6,000 black and white television licences were still issued in 2019. Our thanks go to Stephen, GE7, Victor Foxtrot Yankee, who spotted this interesting article on the Hackaday website at hackaday.com. Well, that's it for this time. You've been listening to Southgate Vibes, stories about amateur radio and the world of communications from Southgate Amateur Radio News. You can find these stories and many more daily reports at our website, southgatearc.org. Don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by sending an email to vibes at southgatearc.org. So until next time, this is Steve Richards, G4 Hotel Papa Echo, signing off and wishing you best 7-3.